Well, greetings, everyone. Welcome to Talk Gnosis After Dark. Uh, tonight, we are continuing our conversations on Gnostic-themed movies, and tonight discussing the movie Groundhog Day. Hey, everybody. How are you guys tonight? I am awesome, Bishop Ken. How are you? I am doing really well, Father Tony, and you? Oh, I'm a bit chilly, but, uh, you know, getting there. I'm wait I'm ready for summer, whenever it <laughs> wants to come around. I'm sure. And Lainey, do you want to uh, introduce our uh, guest tonight on our podcast? Yes, I would like to introduce our friend Jonathan. Jonathan, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you. And you are a professional writer, I believe? That's right. And you're involved with the AJC as well, correct? That's right. I joined. Uh, I joined as a uh, as as laity as a as a member of the AGC uh, almost a year ago at Last Conclave in Chicago. Well, we're so excited to have you on our show today, talking about movies. And this is a really awesome movie that we're going to be discussing tonight, isn't it, Bishop Bishop Ken? I think it's awesome. I um, I, I can't even count on my hands anymore. I think how many times I've seen this movie. And it's one of those movies, every time you see it, there's a little bit more nuance and a little bit more uh, things to kind of catch in it. Yeah, absolutely. It's a great classic. And that is Groundhog Day, um, which, I, you know, the funny thing is, it's one of those movies where even people who don't like Bill Murray or Andy McDowell seem to like Groundhog Day. I don't get that one. I don't get not liking Bill Murray, but I guess uh, being 50 years old, growing up with SNL and being from Chicago, uh, uh, Bill Murray just uh, seems like uh, <laughs> my kind of guy, you know? Well, and if you, if you, it, yeah, I'm, I'm like you. I mean, I'm 45, grew up, in the, grew up in the Chicago area, and if you didn't like Bill Murray, that's you know, akin to being a communist or something like that. Yeah, that or a Sox fan. Well, okay, there's nothing inherently <laughs> wrong with being a Sox fan if you're from the South Side. <laughs> but we're talking Bill Murray here, and I think he's fairly ecumenical when it comes to Chicago. And wouldn't you say, Bishop Ken? I would say so. Okay. <laughs> Crisis averted right there. So, <laughs> so uh, Father Tony, did you have some announcements to make? Yes, thank you. Uh, we have two new patrons on our Patreon page that I wanted to thank. We have Matthew and Lance have both recently uh, become patrons of ours. And uh, if awesome. you if you are interested in supporting our videos and podcasts, visit patreon.com slash gnostic, p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash gnostic. And uh, your support helps us make more and better videos and podcasts for you. All right. Yeah. We also have a little bit of news. Uh, many people who are listening to this podcast may be aware of Professor uh, April DeConnick. She is one of the preeminent scholars on Gnosticism and in the Gnostic scriptures in the world, and she is a professor at Rice University. She has a wonderful, has had for a while, a wonderful blog called The Forbidden Gospels. She has recently incorporated that blog into her main website. So if you're interested in following her blogs, you can actually go to her site at aprildeconic.com. That is aprildeconic, D-E-C-O-N-I-C-K.com. And you can even subscribe to her posts. And if you are like me and you have a hard time keeping track of all these great blogs, sometimes subscribing to the posts, um, either through an RSS feed or by email, is, is, is a great way to make sure that you get um, updated on the posts when they happen. 
Yeah, yeah, her blog is fantastic. Um, she was she just did a, a post today, in fact, on um, a conference she attended at, at Rice University where she teaches, mm -hmm. um, and uh, very very insightful. Lots of really interesting uh, observations about the state of Gnostic scholarship and all that. So I do recommend you go and read it. Absolutely. Seriously, and she's got a very accessible writing style. Yes, she is a scholar, but her blogs are very well written, and you can learn an awful lot from them. And so. her books, too. Uh, Seek to See Him is one of my favorite all-time Gnostic books. If you can get your hands on it, it can be a little bit pricey uh, if, if you don't catch it just right, but it's it's a fantastic book about um, the Gospel of Thomas and how it, it was used in antiquity, or one way it may have been used in antiquity. All right. Well, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Father Tony, for the book recommendation. I'm going to be looking into that myself. And again, we do encourage people to support uh, scholars into Gnosticism because they give us an awful lot of information. And a lot of them take a lot of heat for their interest in scholarship and, and Gnostic studies. So uh, we want to support them. So do we want to get into discussing the movie tonight? Yes. Okay. Uh, one thing, folks, uh, there will be spoilers in this. So if you are one of the few people on the planet who has never seen Groundhog Day. Uh, in the 20 years since it's been made. Yeah. Um, I suggest you stop this podcast right now. <laughs> Get on Netflix and uh, watch the movie. Uh, it's not on Netflix, Netflix, but it's you can get it on Amazon. You can rent it for three bucks on Amazon. I did not know it was not on Netflix. I, I well, I looked for it today and I couldn't find it there. Let me just make sure. Go ahead. What kind of movie is not on? Well, well, licensing. There's all kinds of yeah. things. Seriously, folks, you can find it someplace. Um, and uh, it may even be on, on you know, your pay-per-view on your cable or whatnot, but you can find it. It's well worth whatever it's going to cost you to view it, and I think you'll enjoy it. But do stop this podcast now, and then you can get back, and so we won't be spoiling it for you. <laughs> so so now, that you, now that those people have gone. Yeah, those <laughs> people have gone, and we've chased them all off. Yeah. Um, uh, does somebody want to give a synopsis? Yeah, well, I can do that. Actually, I watched the movie this evening after we decided on the topic here, and uh, and and I just got it on on Amazon. Um, so the the crux of it is this guy by the name of Phil Connors uh, is a weatherman in uh, Pennsylvania, and in um, uh, I can't remember if it's Philadelphia or Pittsburgh. I don't know, <laughs> one of the two. Um, but anyway, so he goes out to Punxsutawney on Groundhog Day, where the groundhog comes out and predicts six more weeks of winter. And uh, for whatever reason, never explained in the film, uh, he repeats Groundhog Day over and over and over again, um, hundreds of, if not thousands of times. Uh, he just has the same day every day, and um, he interacts with it in different ways as time goes by, uh, and or time doesn't go by actually, <laughs> and uh, and and does different things, and and uh, eventually through his own um, realizations and efforts, he progresses to February 3rd. <laughs> yes. And the movie is over. Yes, he does. And it's uh, one of those movies that starts off with almost having this nightmarish quality uh, to it. You know, the idea of this man's trapped in this universe where he has to repeat the same day over and over again. Although in reality, the panic doesn't last all that long. I mean, uh, obviously, I don't know how much they would show of that in a, a movie that's made for somebody's yeah. entertainment because that would be boring. But um, he only spends a couple of those days really 
freaking out about it. And then he really kind of starts getting into it, and he realizes that he can, you know, game this system and, and really get good at this one day. Yeah, mm -hmm. he does. And, but, um, well, he has some other, he has other, other motives. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, he is purely driven by materialism and his own selfish needs and his ego. And, uh, and he absolutely just tries to uh, get whatever he can from, from the people around him, the limited number of people around him, and, uh, and, and kind of, you know, tries to impress the girl and tries to um, get stuff from people and trick them into and manipulate them into, into doing what he wants. Yeah, he does that. And he ends up, you know, he ends up in jail. He ends up... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> offing the unfortunate groundhog after kidnapping him <laughs> in a Thelma and Louise style murder suicide. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but then something changes. Yeah, something kind of shifts, and part of it is is that he wants to bed Andy McDowell, which I, I can't blame him for doing this. <laughs> but at, at some point, he begins to realize that you know being a real jerk isn't going to do it. So maybe he can try faking being decent yeah sort of. exactly he does fake it he he uses his powers if you want to call it that to learn everything that he can about um the character of rita mm -hmm. and uh and he does and he tricks her but then there's this whole montage where he keeps getting it wrong and this whole montage of just her slapping him in various different locations <laughs> Oh, well, on the face, but in various different locations throughout <laughs> Punk Tony. <laughs> that would be a different movie, I think. Um, and, but there's also some, another relationship that he has that, as the movie progresses, that I think has an impact on him. Uh, part of what starts happening, and in my view, is with this movie, is he start, he, you know, uh, once he accepts the fact that he's caught in this loop, he accepts the fact that to make the most of the situation, he has to pay attention and remember. He has to pay attention to the people around him so he can try manipulating things. For example, he uh, walks off with a sack of money from a bank while the Brinks security guard is, you know, not paying attention. And then he has to, re he has to, re he has to pay attention and then he has to remember, which I think is actually a very critical part of the film. Is that he begins to he you know he he's able to start pulling things off by re, by attention and and memory, um, but he encounters somebody else in this in in this film and that is a homeless man. And um, you know he starts by ignoring the homeless man continuously, but as the movie moves on and you begin to see that maybe paying attention. And remembering is beginning to change him because he becomes more interested in the people in this community. Um, he also begins to develop a certain attachment to this homeless man. I don't know if you if you remember that uh, gentleman from the movie, mm -hmm. but he begins to develop this very real he has this real a real interest in him. And the funny thing is, is that during the film, uh, his character Murray's character tries to transform people's lives and he in many ways does he helps people out in various ways but what he learns is that no matter what he does for this homeless man the homeless man still dies mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and he he is unable to 
he's unable to overcome a law, which is that people die. Um, no matter how many no matter how much attention he pays to him, even gets the man to a hospital, and the nurse says he dies. Yeah, you know, the nurse comes out and said he's 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 died, and that's what old people do. So I thought that that was you know, people were paying a lot of attention to some of the other things that he did, but I thought this was a very critical part of the film was that Bill Murray had to learn that no matter how much attention he paid, no matter how much he developed himself, he couldn't overcome this one thing. But he could, of course, change that man's last day on Earth. Hmm. Bishop Canterbury, what what do you think about that? Well, um, you know, I, I think the whole entire premise, uh, you know, of, of the movie, you know, when we're kind of, uh, you know, this guy is starting off as kind of self-centered, um, but then his whole entire kind of... Uh, of um i think he kind of starts expanding his consciousness mm -hmm. and as lanny you know points out uh you know starts being aware of kind of the people around him and and really kind of the effect and the power that he kind of has on them and then he um you know when he sees that you know he's trying to help out this this homeless gentleman and really trying I think in his best effort to save him, you know, I think as Lady points out, that's a that's a, a very kind of redeeming quality, yeah. Um, you know, of, of him at that point, and I think that was kind of that point of epiphany for for his character. Yeah, Jonathan. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> I, I've got to say the the amazing thing about Groundhog Day is it's. It's perhaps one of the only movies, the only movie that is that is profound has a moral. You, there's a lesson at the end, but it's uh, it's 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 hilarious. It, it's just amazingly entertaining for two solid hours, and I can't think of uh, of anything else like it that, that compares to that mix of of entertainment. And at the end of the movie, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah they they stuck something really profound in there. Yeah. Yeah, and partly because he gets the girl, he sleeps with her, but does not ever get naked. Mm. Which I think is, which I actually, I, th I think is, you know, in its own way, very profound. It, it's, mm. um, you know, he, he manages to get to the point where his parts are not what matters here. It, it's, he, he, he wants the attention uh, he wants he's paying attention to this woman and he's actually interested in her um and the next day they wake up and as you know and suddenly um it's a different day right so he the i mean so let's bring this back around to gnosticism Sorry. here so he's he's uh he finds himself trapped in a world that isn't ultimately real is is kind of what I took away from that. So, this yes. this uh, experience that he's having, um, or continues to have over and over again, doesn't really. It has no impact on the, what we'll call the the truly real world, until the very end, of course, when he's when he has figured out, or when he's given up trying to figure out exactly what's happening. I think. Um, so he has the, um, as he goes through, he has the, the idea that he's going to do the best he can with this one particular day, mm -hmm. which I think draws parallels to, you know, we as 
living humans uh, try and do the best we can with our our life and we you know go about our lives and we do our thing um, but when he stops trying to accomplish those material things for himself and starts thinking about the other people around him that's the difference that's when he sees the truth of the the really real world that he gets to experience on February 3rd I, I would only I, I think that's some really good insight, Father Tony. I would only my, my my only quibble would be with the use of the word "real" there because he was he it had a real impact on him. Sure, and I'm using that in the kind of a Gnostic yeah. sense, not in a yeah, yeah, you know, because he was really experiencing it, and you have her, him him waking up the next day, and it's still the next day. So uh, the other character, other characters didn't. Their lives didn't, well, at least not in that dimension, <laughs> um, just didn't go on during that period. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it was once he, I think you make a point, good point there. It's once he gave up something, mm-hmm. once he gave up trying to manipulate this to his own end and actually got a clue that he could, that he had an effect on others. Now, now, if I can interrupt you, you yeah. uh, right there, uh, I think that right there is is a, a kind of an interesting point. Trying to manipulate things to his own end. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think he, in many times, you know, that is kind of a profound kind of statement or concept for for people to um, you know think about trying to manipulate things to to uh, you know for our own end. Um, you know, I think that we could almost have another show just based upon <laughs> that one topic alone. Um, but I think that um, in many cases, um, um, I think, you know, a kind of in a hermetic, uh, Rosicrucian, uh, initiatic form of way, um, it is, you know, kind of that submission to the divine will of finding one's true will and submitting to the divine will and becoming kind of one and just letting that flow instead of letting kind of the lower self and ego kind of uh, trying to control where one is kind of winding. Yes. Any thoughts on that? I, I think that's, um, I think it's wonderful. I mean, are you talking about surrender, Bishop Ken? Yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Basically, yeah. surrendering oneself to 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 the divine, instead of letting one's uh, kind of uh, lower self and uh, kind of make that determination of what is uh, um, what is one's true path, what is one uh, how is supposed to, I guess, manipulate uh, the world around yeah. them. It's almost like, would you think that this is also, in a sense, he was surrendering in the face. Of knowledge. I mean, he had knowledge. He had an incredible amount of knowledge that he was able to acquire. But at some point, would you say that he surrendered and that that is what actually allowed the transformation to take place? I mean, we can acquire a lot of knowledge and pick things up. Sure. Um, but it was at some point where this knowledge, I don't know if it was the knowledge transformed him or whether it was an act of will, whether it was an act of grace, but something happened where he began to surrender so that 
his not he was able to use the the knowledge was able to actually work on him or through him mm -hmm. well i i mean i think you know we see that i mean regardless of i mean his own efforts in in many cases um i mean his own efforts sometimes backfire especially when yeah. it comes to his relationship yeah. i mean there are things that he does i mean he tries to improve himself i mean like the whole entire like piano lessons sequence <laughs> one of kind of my favorite parts of the movie you know he takes you know, awesome. piano lessons and eventually becomes you know great at, at, at the skill um but um you know he does all of these things you know that he's trying to do himself but yet he still keeps failing at what it is that he really wants and uh, like I said, so regardless of his own uh, efforts um, is that sometimes he's still running into that failure yeah and he's still repeating that same sequence day after day so he's doing all of these things 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 doing all these things constantly and um but yet, he still wakes up the next morning and it's still Groundhog Day. Are we familiar with the term lust of result? Yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I'm not uh, either. Okay. Uh, there's uh, Bishop Ken and I, it, there's a, uh, was it, is it Crowley that used that term, Ken? Yes, it's in yeah. one of the, the Lemicoli books, actually. Yeah, you know that you should that there should you know when you're doing magic, you should not be you should not be doing it with the lust of result. Um, Bill Murray, a lot of his stuff initially was involved. You know, he was doing all these things so he could potentially seduce the girl, and somehow at some point that gave way. the The lust of result began to give way, and he began to focus on other things. Um, number one, including buying a whole lot of insurance from that very annoying Ned Ryerson. Um, but that gave way, and some, and that was one of the things that that I think gave was was the lust of result. He began to realize that he began to integrate. He began to integrate what he knew into himself. There was a transformation. Mm -hmm. One of the uh, I'm going to go out on a, on a limb here. Please, please follow me. It's it's delightful out here. Um, the uh, Bishop Tim Mansfield down in in Australia um, recently put up an essay about the Apocryphon of John, um, where he uh, through actually through through work with one of the other uh, Australian uh, Johannites down there, Rebecca Dunson. Mm -hmm. They uh, she brought up a um had an, had an insight I, that I guess you'd say that uh, that that triggered something for him and so he wrote this essay about it mm -hmm. um, so he's writing about the Apocryphon of John and in the Apocryphon of John as you know Sophia uh, creates uh, of her own without her consort uh, and creates the demiurge as a as mm -hmm. kind of a flawed creation you know we all know the story um, mm -hmm. but Throughout that text, and actually a lot of the Gnostic texts, they don't say who her consort is. At least they don't come right out and say this, you know, this aeon is partnered with that aeon and so on and so forth. Um, that may have been part of the oral teaching that never really uh, made it to the modern day. But what Rebecca's insight was, was that was pr that is probably perfection is the, the aeon that is her consort. Yes. So... Uh, and there's a number of clues in the text that would that, that led her to that, and I think it's it's a very 
interesting insight, and I, I like the way that Tim presented the whole thing. So it, would you say, though, that um, Bill Murray accumulated a lot of wisdom but did not have the perfection that he needed to incorporate it in order to become truly creative? One of the things I noticed about when he kind of turned that corner uh, after he stopped being selfish is he actually became... Uh, much more creative as a person. He started doing the ice sculptures and he started, yeah. he started actually making things instead of just manipulating people. Mm -hmm. And so that for me yeah. was a bit of a symbol for, you know, now he has become as a, as a God himself. And he even said, I think I'm a God, but that, that uh, echoed the, uh, the, the demiurge in the, in the text saying, I am God and there is no God before me. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but as as he began to incorporate, as you say, those things within him, then he actually did gain the ability to create. Yeah, I um, I think you make an ex it's an excellent insight, Father Tony. I'm wondering at what point and this, I'm throwing this out. At what point does knowledge become wisdom, and at what point does wisdom then? give rise to something beyond becoming human. I, I ask that because I think in the beginning he did not really acquire wisdom, he acquired knowledge. Uh, the, I'm, yeah, again, I'm using the terms more Gnostically than Englishly. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> Englishly is a word I just made up. I think yeah, I love start, it. We should start using it. Uh, so in, in that sense... Um, in, I'm not the reason why I said wisdom is because the folly of wisdom is what causes the fall in the first place. You know, mm -hmm. he feels like he knows everything, and he mm -hmm. feels very wise, and he feels like he he's better than the assignment that he's given to go to cover this. You know, rat in a hole, as he calls it. So that's kind of what I was thinking okay. with that. Hmm. Okay. I, I was more thinking about, okay, he gets some knowledge, and then he begins to develop wisdom. Um, but he gets book learning. He gets episteme. He doesn't get yeah. gnosis. So, yeah. But he still didn't get, for example, about, you know, how to how to get the girl, which meant probably not getting into bed with her on the first, di first date. Um, and number two, he didn't really get until later on what was going on with that homeless man. He got the idea. Yes, he got to know the homeless man. And yes, he began to get a clue about feeling something for this man and doing something for him. But he didn't really get it until the end where he finally had to accept the fact that there, nothing, was, nothing that he could do was going to save that man or prolong that man's life. Yeah, he came to understand the reality around him yeah. that, that he really couldn't manipulate. And he, but he started caring a long time before that. Yep. Yeah. Brother Jonathan. Well, um, I guess to change uh, the topic just a little bit, um, I didn't get a chance to, to rewatch the movie uh, right before our Was recording it because tonight. Because I told you we changed the topic an hour before we started. Uh, that would be why. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah. I, did, I did, however, read the Wikipedia article on it, and, <laughs> which is um, just as good. <laughs> this is good. I, I I have I have seen the I have seen the movie many 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 times. So uh, so so I'm quite familiar with it, uh, and it's it's just a wonderful movie. Um, 
uh, sorry, what was I going to say? Okay, Wikipedia article. So uh, there is actually a section talking about how it's uh, this film has been embraced by a lot of different spiritual communities. Um, uh, the Buddhists are the are the most um, obvious example, um, as well as um, uh, Catholics see it as a representation of purgatory. Mm, okay. Yeah. So, so I'm wondering when, when the, there is obviously a spiritual message in the movie, but I'll put it out to you: Are we reading too much Gnosticism into it? If uh, if the writer of the movie didn't originally mean to put Gnosticism in it, did uh, where did it come from? The writer of the movie, by the way, Harold Ramis. I, I don't know of any other examples of him espousing any particular theology. Yeah, I don't know of any either. Uh, rest in peace. Yeah. Well, so here's here's my answer to that is that you can you can read Gnosticism into it. I think because Gnosticism is one of those universal truths that appears in a lot of places, whether it's intended or not. Mm -hmm. So for me, there's a lot of Gnostic stuff that happens in in movies these days. Um, just because it exists in the ether and and bubbles up to the surface wherever it wants to, mm-hmm. um, it's one of those universal human things that we all kind of understand, whether we know what we're talking about or not. Yeah, I think that gnosis a person doesn't have to identify as a capital G gnostic to receive or comprehend gnosis. Right. This is true, and I think that, you know, again, as uh, Jonathan pointed out, I mean, you know, um, whether we want to call this a spiritual movie, whether, you know, um, you know, Buddhists find themselves, you know, drawn to it, or Roman Catholics, or, or Gnostics, I think that many of the uh, symbols are very kind of archetypal and would be um, um, kind of applied to, to just a generalized, you know, sp- spirituality that uh, I think does resonate truth within multiple traditions, but to me, that is kind of one of the underlying currents of, uh, I think, of Gnosis, is that there are truths that are universal that carry out regardless of the tradition. Yeah, yeah. I've always, uh, you know, I've always find myself uh, defending other religious traditions. I mean, it's very easy to hate on the Roman Catholics these days. Lots of people do it. And there's lots of things that you can be angry at the Roman Catholic Church as an institution for about. There's, there's no doubt about that. But the fact is that a lot of the uh, of what we have come to understand as Gnostic thought um, does still exist in Catholicism, in the Orthodox traditions, in Judaism, and all of these other things. So the you know you can you can have a surface understanding of these religions or you can choose to dig deeper and find the wisdom hidden within uh and and that's each person is at a different point in their own journey so i often find myself defending the the roman catholic church just for the fact that you know it's not all bad <laughs> and uh it's it's a it's a it's an interesting thing and and a, one of, it's one of the arguments I got in recently on Facebook, which is we were talking about before the show. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, I just and this is one of those movies that you know it's so as you pointed out, Father Tony, it's so incredibly entertaining. 
I mean, I you know, people just enjoyed the film. It was a huge hit, still a huge, you know, fa- favorite. Um, but it's one of those films that stays with you, which is kind of amusing given the, given the premise. Yeah, well, I guess repeating the same thing over, over and over, over and again. Over again. <laughs> you, you, can, you can think about this movie over and over and over again um, because of the lessons that it has. And it's, you know, over the years, when I first saw it, I was, I was relatively young. Um, I thought it was a lot of fun, but that was about the extent of it. And it's, it's over the years that when I've seen it again um, that the message of this film just just hits home and and I still sometimes wonder you know what what did cause the turn for him what, what was it I mean, we talk about spiritual practice a lot on talknosis mm-hmm. and sometimes I'm wondering you know was the practice of being a decent human being even though it was done for less than pure reasons did that ongoing practice was that a transformative thing for him Iterative, perhaps. Um, you know, you—it's the—it's um, the drop of water that erodes the giant stone. Maybe you know. Yeah, but you know, just just thinking about it, it's like, gosh, you know, maybe, um, maybe that's something to think about. But just you know, the fact that he was doing something that may have been grating on him terribly, but he was doing because he had an ulterior motive. But eventually, over time, he got to see the joy or the satisfaction or, you know, that he was giving people in doing this. And that a lot, that may have worked on him. I often give people the advice when it comes to spiritual practices, you know, fake it till you make it right. Just, just do it for a while. And eventually you'll gain a little bit of insight and you'll see, Oh, that's why I was doing that. Or that's what this practice was about. And, and, uh, you know, just keep doing it. Yeah, and, but then don't you? Then wouldn't you? Then I sort of agree. Then with uh, with Laney on this is that's basically um, I think uh, what we're seeing somewhat in Bill Murray. Yeah, yeah, he's he's just you know uh, the the going through the motions of being a good person actually rubbed off on him. Right. And you know, drinking a sweet vermouth with a twist. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, you know, again, sitting with that insurance guy and and in all of that, it, it it's you know, it must have been. And we don't know how many times he repeated that day. Right. We just don't know. But we, I mean, we can look at the way he played piano, and um, maybe getting. <laughs> I've seen actually speculations online, people arguing in in threads back and forth about how long it was. Really? Yeah. Have, have you seen any convincing conclusions? No. 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 It was a while. <laughs> it was a while. Yeah, I've I've seen estimates from twenty three days to ten thousand years. Oh, that's helpful. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> you know, give or take I don't a month. To become that accomplished in piano in twenty three days, um, no. ten thousand years. Wow, that's uh, pretty intense. He really would be a god at that point, don't you think? I mean, <laughs> I would think so. Because <laughs> that's how it works, right? <laughs> Uh, um, I made another note here. We may have covered it in in a couple of different ways, but the um, the the materialism that, that he mm-hmm. goes through at the beginning it reminds me a lot of the hymn of the pearl, uh, where the he goes there with a certain a certain goal in mind, like in the hymn of the pearl, like he's mm-hmm. going to do the 
through the shoot and get out, and he's going to get a new job and be better than everybody else. And then um, he gets caught up in the in the world that he finds himself in. He eats the as the as the the soul does in the hymn of the pearl. It eats and drinks of the food of the Egyptians and and uh, and forgets what it was there to do in the first place. And I, this might be kind of a longer timeline than the beginning of, you know, than, than from the beginning of the movie to when he starts repeating. But um, it's only when he gets reminded of the soul's true purpose that he is able to accomplish his goals and go back to the kingdom, put on his robe of glory and all that. Yeah. And he even has his fake robe earlier in the, in the movie when he gets that poncho. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah, yeah, the Serape and the <laughs> goes and the, to the, the Rolls Royce. <laughs> yeah, that you know, it's it's um, and the, I think some of it is, is with the movies that we can certainly identify with a lot of it in the beginning. Okay, if I'm stuck in this, okay, what would I do? Sure. And yeah. there's that puerile ad thing. Okay, yeah, I'm going to pay attention to the Brink security guard guy so I know exactly when I can make the heist. And then I'm going to go out and, you know, spend a lot of money and, uh, you know, find some company for the evening, um, you know, or just make people's, you know, lives miserable and that sort of thing. Um, and I, I think we, a lot of us can, can identify with that. We can identify with, with that baser aspect of our nature. And, but I think later on we can also start identifying with the desire to do the right, you know, to, to eventually do the right thing, but to also discover what the right thing is. Because I don't think that he knew initially. The, the changes started happening and he started getting a clue. But that meant, again, paying attention and remembering. You know, getting the WWF tickets. And then, I mean, this is, I'm really dating this now with <laughs> WWF instead of WWE. Um, um, but yeah, you know, the for, newlywed for couple. Right, yeah, the newlywed right. couples. And um, say, you know, uh, you know, saving the guy's life, you know, life, but doing the Heimlich maneuver, um, you know, uh, he just, he started paying attention to everything and remembering everything. And, and that was remarkable. But I think that's something that some Gnostics I, I've spoken to often speak of this is the importance of remembering, remembering who we are. Yeah, the anamnesis that uh, that comes with gnosis, you know, the and the the pl the Platonic uh, admonition that all learning is remembering. Yeah, but also the notion of paying attention. I mean, in in the Gurdjieff work, which, which I am a part of, we we learn to pay attention because oftentimes our attention gets buffeted from here, here there, and everywhere, and we're totally ineffective. And it's when we start paying attention to what's around us, what's in us, that we can actually, you know, hope for some growth. Um, I, I just think that was a, a remarkable part of the movie. Yeah, and doesn't Gurdjieff use the um, the story of the transfiguration to illustrate that point? I, I don't know, maybe I heard it from somebody else, but... The, he may have. I don't recall it, but go on. Yeah, well, the, where... You know, Jesus goes up on the mountain on on his uh, you know the night before the Last Supper, and he goes to um, uh, he goes to pray, and he says to the disciples, you know, hang out here, don't you know, pay attention, don't fall asleep, 
and I'll be back in a little while. And he comes back and he finds them asleep and he says, what, you can't even pay attention for a little bit? You, yeah. You fall asleep? And this is the, this is the mind and how the mind, you know, can't actually concentrate on things uh, in its natural state. Yeah, and that's it's part of the part of the training. If you if you're ever involved in a fourth way group, I mean, it, it's learning to pay attention. But part of the initial training is learning that you don't pay attention, mm -hmm. and you will do some very simple exercises. You know, very basic exercises that can show you that you don't pay attention. It's pretty embarrassing. Mm -hmm. uh, initially um, but it's part of part of the learning process but I think that the the emphasis on attention in Groundhog Day was quite remarkable and I have no reason to believe that Harold Ramis was involved with fourth way work but he obviously picked up on a very serious truth there the importance of attention mm -hmm. yeah it's it's remarkable when you start a meditative practice or anything like that and and you say Oof, how hard can it be to sit there and not think about something <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Um, I have I have another question. Um, you, people know I'm interested in this uh, this this Gnostic stuff, and I'm sure uh, speaking to two bishops and a priest, sometimes people are like, "What is this this Gnostic stuff that you're into?" Would you recommend Groundhog Day to say, "Here, watch this movie. Maybe maybe that can help explain some of this this Gnostic stuff that I'm into." I wouldn't I'd, start with it. I don't think, Bishop Peterson. I would say I, I would say this is probably the sort of thing when it comes to any kind of popular media. It probably depends on the person, mm. um, and that's for some people. You know, something like The Matrix might leave them cold, mm -hmm. but something like um, again, Rock who are these people? I'd, yeah, I'd like yeah. to meet them. <laughs> yeah, goodness gracious, yeah, it's, that's what yes. it's a perfect movie. Um, but it, it just, yeah, I, I think that um, it might depend on the individual. But I, I, I will say this: I think that most people do benefit from working with a guide. And so, you know, if Groundhog Day is perhaps a movie that speaks to you, brother Jonathan, or just to another person who's listening to the show, um, why not watch it with them? Mm. And um, you know, maybe, uh, maybe point some things out and have a discussion with them. The movie gives an awful lot of food for thought mm -hmm. for a lot of people. As we pointed out, as Brother Jonathan pointed out on Wikipedia, they talk about different religious traditions that have kind of claimed it. Um, so that might be a really good introduction. Um, something like The Matrix might be more straightforward, but again, I think it depends on the individual. Yeah, I, I would have to agree with you. I think a lot depends upon the individual, and you gave some great advice there. You know, is that, um, you know, a lot of times it is this kind of one-on-one -on -one kind of instruction and mentoring. And, um, you know, I think um, if something like this does come up in conversation, I think the suggestion you made of maybe sitting down, suggesting you guys watch a movie together. And, and then afterwards, um, while it's both fresh in your memory, um, sit there and have a discussion on, on some of the various points. Um 
but uh, many of the things, especially I think if we're talking about movies, is going to be uh, very subjective to individuals because they all have different tastes. I mean, you know, uh, we may all sit around and say how much we love The Matrix and how it's kind of in-your-face kind of Gnostic. But there are people who don't like the movie The Matrix. Uh, I don't know who they are. Um, <laughs> but there are people who don't like, you know, sci-fi or anything or in, in kind of that realm. And we're maybe, you know, a movie that kind of starts off a little bit humorous, you know, like uh, Groundhog Day may um, appeal to to a different group of individuals. So I think, you know, would be a, a fine movie for some, but not necessarily for all. I think this is an interesting exercise. What would you pick if you had one movie to show to somebody to say kind of this is this is how I like to think of Gnosticism. Actually, there are two, okay. and they're very different movies. Um, one would be Dogma. Hmm. Um, the other would be The Warriors. I don't know The Warriors. I haven't seen Dogma in a long time. So, yeah, well, you, what are, what are, what's Warriors about? Well, The Warriors is actually, um, well, it's an adaptation of a book by a guy named Saul Urich, and it's about uh, New York street gangs. Oh, uh, oh this is the, the Warriors from like the 80s. Yeah, 79. Yeah, okay, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was originally based on an ancient Greek tale called Anabasis written by Xenophon. Um, and it's, a, it's, it's about a gang that is taken out of its home turf goes up to the Bronx for a big meeting where they're given this illusion of being able to take over the city. Things go very bad and they have to fight their way back to their home turf hmm. um, through the evening. And I think that uh, from, from, a, from a spiritual struggle viewpoint, I think it has an awful lot to say for the modern Gnostic. Um, for, as for dogma, dogma is, I guess, a little bit more of the theology where you have, yeah, and again, folks, plenty of spoilers here. Um, you have, you know, God getting taken out um, on the street and kept trapped in a vegetative, in a, in a, in a, on life support by the Roman Catholic Church and unable to get out of his body. Um, I think that's pretty in your face. Um, so th th those would be my two personally. Okay, yeah, uh, oh, that's good. I I um I enjoyed Dogma when it was out. It's a great movie. Just tremendous amount of fun. Bishop Canterbury, what what would your movie? Well, I mean, generally, I I'm gonna well probably sound pretty cliche, but generally, uh, the movie that I recommend for most is The Matrix. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a great movie. You know, only because um, I mean, the whole entire premise of the movie is about. I think probably as much in your face, you know, Gnostic <laughs> as you're probably going to get. It's entertaining. There's action. I mean, uh, you know, I think there's a little bit of something for everyone in the movie. But, um, you know, I don't think you can get too much more, uh, you know, in your face Gnosticism than, than The Matrix. Mm. Jonathan, what what would you do? I'm still processing the Warriors as a Gnostic movie. I've seen that movie. It's another movie I've seen probably a dozen times, and uh, it, it, it's just clicking for me. And that one's uh, definitely on Netflix, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, fortunately, unfortunately, I, I do have to agree with uh, with Bishop Canterbury. It's just it's, it's the Matrix. Um, and, and sometimes when I do talk to people, if they ask me about 
this Gnostic stuff. I'm like, have you seen The Matrix? Everybody has. So it, it's uh, it's a pretty good place to start. Um, the British television show The Prisoner, to a certain degree. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. I recommend that one sometimes. And, of course, uh, oh, wait, now I'm on number three, but The Truman Show. <laughs> well, that was going to well, yeah. be mine. Yeah, mine is definitely The Truman Show. We did a great show episode on that. Yeah. Bishop Ken and I did. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, another movie that I sort of forgot about uh, uh, that is just interesting because it involves uh, a Gnostic text is Stigmata. I don't know if uh, yeah. you guys are familiar with Stigmata. Yep, yep. Um, just Gabriel Byrne, to me, is always a priest. And I don't yeah. care what role he's playing. I, I always think he's like a secret priest. And even yeah. though he's playing like the devil or something. I think he played the devil in something. Oh, yes, he did. Um, that bad Schwarzenegger That movie. bad Schwarzenegger movie. What was it? Yeah. Oh, what's End, it of days. End of yeah. Days. Oh, that was a fine movie. It was a fine bad movie. <laughs> There's one other film. And strangely enough, it also stars Andy McDowell. And it may sound like a strange uh, entry into this. But it is a movie called Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Oh, God, yeah, uh, that's from a And that's another, you know, 25-year-old <laughs> right. uh, movie. Um, but, again, it's, it's a far more inner person. It's not sci-fi by any means, but it's about uh, self-delusion. And the entry, the way, the, the entry of a woman into a severely damaged man's life and the transformative, the, his willingness to respond his willingness to respond and surrender to her entry into his life. Um, again, it's more of an, on a personal level. It's not so much a mythos level. But uh, I remember the movie really sticking with me. And I remember seeing it several times in the theaters um, when it first came out because it so profoundly affected me. And um, to this day, it's had a profound effect on me. So... Um, I would say that that's that's another it's another side of Gnostic practice, even though it's not necessarily about the mythos itself. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, I'm sorry. I want to push one more in because it's uh, it's kind of <laughs> obscure, but it's it's a movie called The Nines. Oh um, yes, it's absolutely. Intensely, intensely Gnostic, and it has amazing performances from Ryan Reynolds and Melissa McCarthy, people who you know act an actor and an actress that most people don't think of as uh, as having serious chops, and uh, they're both they're both excellent in it. Right? No, okay. there's, there's there are no fart jokes in that at all. No, no, there's not. Yeah. What is this movie about, Brother Jonathan? Well, it, it's actually uh, uh, three three uh, three short stories. Uh, all starring uh, Ryan Reynolds, uh, who he seems to be the same guy, but um, but he's not. Uh, and at, at first, he's uh, I don't I, I don't want to give any spoilers. Yeah, he, um, <laughs> yeah, it's 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 great. But uh, he's uh, he's let me try to remember. He he's a famous actor uh, who is uh, under house arrest at his own house, and a mysterious woman is telling him that he can that he can leave whatever he wants, but it'll destroy the whole world. The second time, he's a television writer trying to get his pilot produced. Mm -hmm. uh, and the third time, he's a video game designer, um, and all these all these strange things keep happening to him. And this mysterious woman keeps uh, you know sending him messages, and mysterious forces seem to keep trapping him in uh, in situations in in worlds he doesn't want to be in. Uh, but it's uh, yeah, it's a very very good movie. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, uh, well, I, I can't stop. I got another one. The, uh, okay. <laughs> it's called Branded. It was a uh, it was a very little little known 
uh, movie, and I think it was filmed mostly in Russia. I don't. It, it takes place in Russia, but um, it's, uh, I forget the name of the lead actor. But Lily Sobieski was the uh, was the female lead, and um, it had a bunch of people you'd you'd know in it um, about a guy who is a uh, an advertising executive um, who, through a series of events, is is able to actually see um, the egregore of brands of of you know brand uh names Ooh. it's it's very interesting and they appear as these kind of grotesque creatures that that feed off of the people who crave like uh the mcdonald's analog and um all kinds of things and they it, these things that feed on people's desires they're like the archons of the brands it's, it's really really fantastic movies slow as anything but um but but very gnostic i think which one is this i mean the name again Branded. Branded. Mm -hmm. All right. I really need to see that, I think. Yeah. No, I think everybody should. I think it was a okay. great movie. I, I need to see it. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I have a little digression. Uh, back sure. to, to Bishop uh, Peterson and uh, Bishop Canterbury's suggestion about watching the uh, watching the movies with a guide, right? So you could, see, you could sit down with someone who's interested in Gnosticism and watch uh, Groundhog Day with them. Um I recently found out that the writer of Mary Poppins was a personal student of, of Gurdjieff's. Yep. So, um, so we'll have to watch Mary Poppins together sometime because I don't know much about the fourth way. And then you'll have to point out if she snuck any in there. Mm. So I've heard the suggestion that she, that she did, that she did put some of Gurdjieff's teachings into the Mary Poppins series. You know, I think I need to actually uh, read... Read, yeah, read, read, and read, and see that movie and and all that again because you know now that you mention it, you know he had an amazing amount of influence on a lot of people. We people don't realize, mm -hmm. you know that, um, you know he just, you know he had a, he had a lot of people have not heard of him. People have heard of Crowley, but they have not heard of Gurdjieff. And the more I study both fourth way and Gnosticism, I'm, I'm of the opinion that Gurdjieff was teaching his own Gnostic myth. Mm -hmm. um, you know Frank Lloyd Wright and his wife worked with Gurdjieff, hmm, yeah. um, the architect, and, you know, it, it, there was just, um, there were, there was, there were P.L. Travers, and uh, there were quite a few people who did, so this is, you know, this is getting more and more interesting for me, at least, by the day, but I, I think Mary Poppins is definitely something worth looking into, Brother Jonathan, and I'd be interested in corresponding with you about that. Yeah, um, have you heard the, um, the theory that Mary Poppins is a Time Lord? <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, I she, not. <laughs> she pops in and out when people need her, and her bag is bigger on the inside, and it's uh, it's interesting. And then also, there's a theory going around that James Bond is a time lord because he keeps showing up with a different face. But anyway, <laughs> okay. One uh, to, to bring it back to to uh, to to earlier points. Uh, while we were speaking, uh, I grabbed a copy of the the Shabbat Sun, which is Buddhist magazine. And it turns out uh, they have a, uh, I remember there's an issue that has a very extensive article on Groundhog Day. Oh, okay. And, um, and it turns out, uh, so so Harold Ramos was Jewish, and he um, he did have uh, a spiritual advisor, Rabbi Erwin Kula, who's a very, very interesting man, um, you know, kind of a mystic, kind of a liberal. And he said, I would call Harold Ramis an ethically responsible spiritual pluralist with Jewish roots and Buddhist tendencies. So there is there is sort of a, uh, a spiritual grounding there, perhaps, that Ramis did intend. And in reading a little bit more about Rabbi Erwin Kula, to, to bring it back to Gnosticism, um, he... Uh, 
he has a documentary about his thought called Time for a New God, where, oh. um, where apparently he, he states that we got to get past our previous images of God to get to the true God. You know, we got to, we've made idols, we've created a false God, we worship a false God. Let's get behind that image to the God above God. I don't know if he's still directly influenced by Gnosticism, but of course that to me is a very Gnostic idea. Mm-hmm. He should pay Miguel some money. Yes. <laughs> um, we are uh, we're coming up on our hour here. I did want to make one more point before we closed out here. The um, I've been compiling a list of Gnostic movies, so I've written down the, the ones that we've talked about tonight. Um, one thing that I would like to do with this list eventually is to, is to create another show on the channel and where we watch the movies uh, as a group and then mm -hmm. uh, talk over them like mystery science theater 3000 style and do a podcast of that so people at home that. yeah so people at home can put the movie on and the podcast on and hear the commentary as the movie is playing mm -hmm. um so i've added that to our our list of patreon uh uh milestones and that's at the 50 dollar level so if you want to see that show that podcast happen and, and we all think that'd be a lot of fun. I think it'd be uh, great. Yeah. Tell your friends about our uh, patreon.com slash Gnostic uh, Patreon campaign, and, and we can get there, and we can make some good stuff. So Absolutely. are we going to do this sort of like uh, the dark side of Oz after the uh, lion roars on the third time they start the podcast? Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the podcasts I listen to that do it, they like, okay, so we've paused the movie. It's just when the... The guy is walking into frame, and uh, we're going to go three, two, one, go. And then everybody starts the movie. And, yeah. It's usually pretty entertaining. <laughs> if we, uh, if you hit the $50 mark, I'm calling dibs on the Warriors, because I definitely, I, I want to watch that movie again through Gnostic eyes. So. I yeah. think it's going to be great. You, you know, I'll be honest. I never even um, have considered... The Warriors as a Gnostic movie. It was one of those movies I remember watching as a teenager and loving the movie. But my God, I probably haven't seen that movie since early '80s. <laughs> you know, um, it's been a long time. You know, and I uh, um, never really thought of it in Gnostic terms. So now I'm gonna have to go back rewatch it in Gnostic eyes. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's one of my favorites. One of the it was one of, again one of those movies. I remember when I first saw it as a thirteen year old girl, and initially it was all these you know half naked gorgeous young men, and that was all I was cared about. But I think I watched it nine times in two days, and for something about it was very very profound. And as I've I've grown older and continue to go back to the film, I find more and more in it. So, hmm. all right. Well, I think that'll do it for us this week. Um, we've got uh, an interesting topic for next week, uh, so stay tuned for Monsignor Scott Rossback. We're going to talk about... Um, what are we going to talk about? I've forgotten already. Modern understanding of the archives. That's what right. What are the things yes. that distract us? Yes, yeah. So very much in keeping with what we were talking about today. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so go watch Branded, and then you'll be all set for next all week. All right, I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, everybody, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. All right, take care. Thank you, everyone.
This has been a production of the Gnostic NYC Network. For more information on this and all of the Gnostic NYC Network's programming, visit GnosticNYC.com. This podcast has been released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International License. Thank you.